podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Uh, the first thing to say this week is that the podcast will be no good. I mean, that's, that, that, <laughs> that's the first thing to say. Now, a lot, of, a lot of podcasts will start by telling you, oh, this is going to be a great show. It won't be. Uh, I've got very little to say, and it seems you've got very little to say as well, because I've had about three emails, which is fine. It's the new year, people are going back to work, the Masters have started, people are watching that. Absolutely fine. Uh, so this podcast is a bit like uh, this week, uh, Michael Gove, who's uh, British Cabinet Minister, um, went to be interviewed on the Today programme at the BBC, got stuck in a lift, got stuck in a lift for half an hour, and uh, I'm actually going to call this podcast Stuck in a Lift, because that's that's basically what it's going to be. It's going to be half an hour of not much happening. But what we can say, and what certainly is happening, is the Masters itself, which uh, we're only two days in as I record this, but what a fantastic start. It just looks great. The, the Masters, you know, has always been a big event, but the World Snooker Tour have done a brilliant job with it. It looks like a modern sporting event, that when you're watching on TV, you think, I want to go there. The atmosphere is brilliant. Great to see the, the fans back. I think a lot of the players, you know, it's been reflected in, in their comments about how good the setup is. A lot of that, I think, is the fact that, of course, we haven't been really in this situation or we weren't there at the Masters last year in that situation. And in general, you know, it's been difficult behind closed doors. But, the, yeah, it's been, you know, I can't fault it so far. The matches have been good. Not all of the... Highest quality, Robertson McGill wasn't necessarily brilliant, but it's a fascinating start. We're only just underway. Um, World Snooker, you know, they take a bit of stick, so we should give them some praise. They've done a good job. They throw everything at the, 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 the big three, as it were, the BBC events. And I suppose it's a sort of chicken and egg question. Uh, are, are those three events the three biggest uh, because they throw everything at them, or do they throw everything at them because they're the three biggest? I suppose it's a bit of both, really. What they have, of course, is the history. I mean, the Masters started in 1975, and it's one of those events where, you know, I said this on commentary last night, if you say to someone, what's your favourite moment of the Masters, people, snooker fans could name, you know, six, seven, eight, you know, proper choices for what's their favourite moment of the tournament. And uh, hopefully, you know, that list will be added to uh, over the course of uh, of the next few days. So anyway, if you're still listening after that extraordinary start, where <laughs> where well, I said it would be no good, let's uh, let's continue. We have had a few emails. Dan Farthing has been to, uh, has been to the Masters. He said, um, "I visited Ali Pali on Sunday. To my disappointment, there was no viewing area for the practice table. On previous visits, there was a window in the marquee bar area. Any idea why? I can only imagine, Dan." Um, that it's something to do with COVID. The restrictions, I think, at Ali Pali are quite tight. They have their own restrictions there. Um, so it may be that that's... I imagine, like most things at the moment, that's that's the answer. Um, I don't know for sure, but that sounds like it's probably... You know, everyone's kind of got to keep their distance at the moment, haven't they? And even if it is just a window, maybe they feel... Maybe they feel the optics or whatever, you know. It, it's all It's all sort of, you know, terms and conditions sort of thing. So, you know, that, that's, I suspect that's the reason. Now, last week, uh, Jonathan Ford wrote in. Remember, he was interviewed for the job I ultimately got at the WPBC all those years ago, and I was speculating about whether he'd become a millionaire. Well, <laughs> he, he, he replies, to satisfy your curiosity as to what I'm doing now, I can definitely say I'm not a millionaire. I work in the press office world, though, in a role in Suffolk Police Press Office Comms. He said, I hope you enjoy the Masters. My annual question of this event, why no ranking points awarded? I accept it's an invitational, so to award points to the top 16 players skews the rankings, but maybe just a one-off award to the winner of the tournament. It seems unfair someone can beat four top 16 players in one week, a major achievement, and not get it reflected in the rankings. Hey-ho. 
Well, hey-ho indeed. Yes, this is a sort of hardy annual, really. I mean, Mark Williams sort of suggested that uh, the Masters should have ranking points. Other people have said that as well. My view is that it shouldn't. I think I think it stands on its own. It doesn't need... I think we get a bit excited about sort of rank, ranking tournaments, but the Masters, you know, do, do, do people going along, do people watching on TV really care if there's ranking points involved? I understand what you're saying. Obviously, it's an achievement to win it, and you're not getting uh, any reward. And, of course, you know, two years ago, Stuart Bingham won it and came close to dropping out the top 16. This is the thing without... I was going to say without scratching at a saw, but I'm going to scratch at a saw. This Triple Crown series is not a series. You know, you could win the Masters and not be at the Crucible quite quite easily. You could win this Masters, drop out the top 16, have to qualify for Sheffield and not get through. So it's not a series. But anyway, um, should there be ranking points? I still say no. To be honest, though, if they, <laughs> if they did award them, I, I wouldn't lose any sleep at all over it. It makes some sort of sense, I think. I think Sean Murphy said this before, to just give everything ranking points and be done with it. Um... But it seems a little unfair that the top 16 would have a massive advantage by obviously not only playing in the tournament, but then having their ranking boosted by the very fact they played in it. So I suspect it probably won't get ranking points. But as I say, if it does, well, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to be on the barricades on that one. I'll probably be stuck in a lift instead. I'm now going to read out an email which uh, contains a lot of praise for me, but it sounds, you know, self-important, but we got little else this week, so I'm, I'm going to read it anyway. A dear friend, Costas, in Greece, he wrote in last week asking about the number of titles that Steve Davis, Stephen Henry and Ronnie O'Sullivan uh, had, had accrued, and I tried to sort of work, work it out as best I could. He says, uh, Ronnie surely will increase his tally of titles as soon as possible, I hope. Thank you so much, David, for your insight in reply to my question. I trust your judgment absolutely as it is well known in the snooker world, that you're an expert statistician and a scholar of the sport. Another great podcast, The Masters Preview with Phil Yates. And thank God you will continue to podcast your snooker scene well beyond the 200 episodes. Well, to be fair, Cod, I didn't quite say that, but anyway, we'll, 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 we'll address that nearer the time. He says, uh, touching on that subject, have you thought any kind of special celebration, or is it too early yet? Also, how about inviting to your podcast people outside snooker but people who are genuine snooker fans nevertheless, i.e. Stephen Fry, musicians like Ronnie Wood, various artists and sports people from other sports like footballers and managers. I think it will be interesting to hear their experience as snooker fans. If I got it right, Sir Alex Ferguson is a snooker fan too and a good friend of Dennis Taylor and Ken Doherty. How incredible it would be to get Sir Alex to speak on Snooker Scene Podcast. Ray Reardon, a legend of the sport, would be great to hear from him, his perspective on modern snooker and the volume of amazing stories he has to share with, with the audience. I know I ask a lot. You can, you just don't pick up the phone and get things done. Anyway, just some thoughts. You know your craft better than anyone. You're a top snooker journalist and number one for me. Can't wait for your next episode. Thank you, Costas. That was very, very kind of you. There's, there's a couple of issues here in terms of all those people you name. One is just time. I mean, it's a very busy time now uh, up to the World Championship. There's tournaments based every week and I'm very fortunate that I'm working on them all. So time is limited. But also, it's, you know, I suppose the question is, what, what benefit is it to Sir Alex Ferguson to come on here and talk about snooker? I mean, he does like snooker, and he is a friend of Dennis and Ken's, but to whether it would be of interest to him, I, I don't know. Um, I, I did, uh, in terms of two of the episode, I don't have any uh, great plans. The 100th, I did, and then the, <laughs> the, uh, the pandemic came along. So on the 100th episode, I did have a very particular person I wanted to invite on, but uh, it didn't quite happen. Uh, because there was a, <laughs> a global pandemic, but uh, you, yes, Ray Reardon would be very good. I agree. Let, let, let's see. Let's uh, let's um, let's not make any promises. 
Um, but uh, thank you anyway for your suggestion. Stephen Fry, he's a, you know, he'd be brilliant, obviously. You could just uh, ask him one question and settle back and enjoy it. By the way, and, and I'm not here to advertise other people's podcasts, but there's a terrific one just launched. If you're interested in showbiz anecdotes, and let's be honest, who isn't? Barry Cryer, the great Barry Cryer, who, uh, comedy writer, comedian in his 80s now, has worked with all the greats from going back in, you know, to the 1950s and, and ever since in British show business. And he and his son have launched a, a podcast. It's called Now Where Were We? And they go to a pub each week with uh, different people in show business and just basically swap anecdotes. And Stephen Fry is on the first one. There's some very, very funny stuff on there. So, uh, yeah, has nothing to do with me. But uh, it, put it this way, it's better than this one. <laughs> it's it's a better listen. We can say that officially. It's a better listen than this one. So do uh, do check that out. There's no snook on it yet, but uh, who knows uh, what, what the future lies. Now, our regular correspondent from Derby, Matt Tarrant. He says, as, as one of those who discovered the podcast in lockdown and have gone back to listen to every episode, I just knew that after ploughing through all that drivel, eventually it would pay off. And boy, was my stubbornness rewarded. It's paid off in bucket loads. That recommendation to watch At Home with the Ambing Tower. Just brilliant. That short film is deserving of its own podcast. I can't decide which is my favourite wow from Rob. I thought it was wow blueberries, then I swung towards wow, a very modest garden. But in the end, I had to go with wow, so the site manager brought the TV up. Sorry, but your carpet wow, splendid as it was, doesn't even make my top five. But then, Joe Davis doesn't make your top ten players of all time, which to me just doesn't compute. For any of your listeners out there, surely worth another plug, as this is simply unmissable gold. Thank you, Matt, in, in uh, Derby. Well, <laughs> to, to explain what this, we're talking about here, this was uh, Rob Walker uh, for World Snooker Tour went round to Yambing Town's new house uh, in Sheffield. And, and um, here's the thing about this, OK? Now, this, it's got to be said, has attracted a lot of derision uh, online. I mean, I don't normally read the comments, but I was reading some of them this week, and they're pretty eye-watering. And actually, there's a, there's a Twitter account, Accidental Partridge, which sort of celebrates all things Alan Partridge in the media. If you don't know who Alan Partridge is, if you maybe not from the UK, he's a fictional TV personality who sort of specialises in just being sort of cringeworthy. So they, they, they put it up there and they they, they uh, sort of flagged it to their many, many uh, followers. But anyway, he went the, he went round to, to the house and, and the, here's the, the problem they had, right? Yeah, and they'd only been there three days, right? So if you go to anyone's house after three days, it's not furnished. You know, they, yeah, lots of things are in boxes things on on the walls yet the house wasn't finished why they went round I mean obviously they want to publicise the Masters champion I get that but why they went round to someone's house before they really moved in properly what were they expecting to find now I know Rob really well he's, he's a lovely guy Rob a genuine guy nice guy positive about everything about everybody that's not an act that's how he is and that's refreshing in the media and I like him a lot and he was always going to be enthusiastic going there but the problem is he had nothing to work with so that's why he did in the end you know, big up the carpet and big up the TV and big up the garden and big up even a window at one point was the greatest thing ever. Just because there was <laughs> there wasn't much to work with because the house effectively isn't finished. Um, if you go back there like three months from now, you know it'll look completely different probably, and they'll be settled in and probably be more comfortable for everybody. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it, it's an extraordinary uh, it's an extraordinary watch for sure. Um, I suppose I mean there's a wider question here about what is the image. Um, that World Snooker Tour are trying to pro project for snooker. Um, because they went to Mark Selby's house last year after he won the World Championship for the fourth time and did an excellent piece with him. Um, he was relaxed. You know, we see so many interviews with snooker players 
you know, with the cam at tournaments with the camera close in their face and they're in their dress suits. And it's all a little bit uncomfortable and like an interrogation or that, that's how it can come across at times because they're sort of, they're having to do it. It's part of their, their job at the tournament, the media work that they do. They're having to be interviewed. Whereas when you're in your own home, you know, where are you more relaxed than in your own home? It's different. It's good to see them, you know, in civvies, as it were, uh, relaxing. They did one with Karen Wilson, although that descended a little bit because they, Rob got in the hot tub with him. Um, I suppose, without sort of being overly serious about this, what, what is the image of snooker they're trying to project? I believe, personally, that they should be selling aspiration. What you want is youngsters watching, you know, who are on YouTube all the time, looking at, at an interview with a snooker player and saying, wow, look at their lifestyle, look at that. I aspire to, I aspire to have that, and I'm going to work hard at snooker. I'm going to dedicate myself to the game. One day I can move into a nice house and I can enjoy this lifestyle. Now, whether anyone aspires to having Rob Walker come round and going through their fridge, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. But there's a way around it. You know, you could still do something with Yam, but take him out in Sheffield. I mean, it's quite an interesting story that this player from China, like many of the, the guys from over there, have settled in Sheffield, which is a snooker city, of course, home of the Crucible. So maybe take him out somewhere. And I don't mean to the, to the academy or, or somewhere, you know, stereotypical, like a Chinese restaurant or something. I mean, just take him out somewhere in Sheffield, maybe Meadowhall Shopping Centre, January sales, shopping for the house, buying stuff for the house, whatever, wherever he feels comfortable even if it's just a cafe or a coffee shop, take him somewhere where he, where he feels comfortable. And let's see these guys, absolutely let's see these guys, you know, outside of the snooker context. Let's get to know more about them as humans. The, the idea is sound. It was just, like I say, it was just a bit odd to go around someone's house when they've just moved in. Because you could go, if Ronnie O'Sullivan bought a house and you turn up three days later, you know, it wouldn't be finished. Obviously, it's the same for anybody. So, yeah, it was, it was an extraordinary watch. A lot of people enjoyed it. A lot of people... <laughs> Struggled to make it through it. It divided attention. It got a lot of uh, got a lot of views though, which I think is possibly all World Snooker re are really interested in because, of course, they get the do re mi, they get the revenue from it. But anyway, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's certainly worth checking out. Now, apologies to Rob O'Connor, whose uh, email he sent it in in, the, in December, in the thick of everything, you know, Christmas and everything, and I I, uh, I didn't get around to reading it out, but. Uh, Thankfully, we we uh, we we were short on content, so this is this is the big opportunity. He actually writes here: I have two anorak points, which you might find a minute to speak about if there's literally nothing else left to say. Well, <laughs> this is like a lifeline, Rob. Actually, he says: Firstly, I must follow up on an email from some months ago where I gave you commentators a hard time about not respecting the laws of physics in your analysis. I have another piece to add, though it strays more into maths than physics. I had let it go for a while, but when I heard Dominic Dale at it last week, I thought, enough is enough. A wordsmith like Dominic will probably be shocked and horrified to make such an error and appreciate being corrected. So here goes. A difficult pot is often described as at an acute angle. I'd like to point out that this is impossible, as acute in reference to angles means less than 90 degrees. I suggest from now on that if you and your colleagues want to describe a tricky pot like this, you use the term acute side of obtuse. It rolls off the tongue, I'm sure you'll agree. I've actually <laughs> I've actually changed my mind. I'm going to call this episode The Acute Side of Obtuse. <laughs> it sounds like maybe the new Steve Davis album. Anyway, uh, Rob continues. Secondly, and maybe this has been thrashed out before, what is safety success measuring? Neil Robertson once told me on Twitter that it's the percentage of safeties taken from bulk where the cue ball returns past the bolt line. This, to me, is a next-to-useless measure of the quality of a safety shot. Dump shots aren't counted. Entire safety battles where there's a red up the table and players uh, battle to get tight to the black cushion are completely missed. Surely a better measure is simply, did you see the best all... Oh, sorry. 
did the opponent pot a ball from the next shot. Granted, almost everyone will be 90% plus then, but at least you'd see the best all-round safety players rise to the top. Are this and other season-long and career stats maintained anywhere other than the average shot time? Thanks for your time, Rob O'Connor. Well, thanks, Rob. Uh, on the first point, OK, I'll, I'll pass it on to Dominic. I'm sure he'll be, he'll be, uh, he'll be interested in that. Uh, on the second point, you, it's a very good point, this, because... You know, we see a lot of these stats on the TV and, you know, people I think would be interested to know how they worked out. Um, obviously pot success is pr- pretty self-explanatory. The safety one, I agree with you, is a little bit murky and, and I do agree as well that, you know, you can't really judge the success of a safety actually until the next shot has been played because you can play the intended shot. You can get, say you're playing the cue ball tight to the bulk cushion, okay? You play that shot, so that's judged a safety success. But what if Judd Trump or Neil Robertson or whoever gets down and knocks the next red in? Has it been successful in that case if they potted a ball from it? Um, so I think the thing with the, these stats, they may be a little overused at times. They're a sort of guide in general to what's happening. I think viewers should feel uh, able to sort of either take them on board or ignore them as they see fit. But um, it's an interesting point that I think... Uh, I think the safety uh, sort of metric is is, is one that that, that uh, is a bit complicated. What I will say is a lot of these tournaments now, they're worked out by actual ex-players. So Gary Wilkinson, for example, who is a former World Match Play champion, former World Number Five, he uh, has done a lot of that. Ian Burns, more recently at the Home Nations, of course, he's a tour professional. He's been involved as well. So they are often snooker players who do it. At the darts, they have people like Keith Deller, ex ex players, ex World Champion in his case who are the spotters, so they're in the in the van, in the in the TV truck, next to the director, telling them, because obviously it's very fast darts, and telling them what double to put the camera on, basically, what the checkout is, what double to put the camera on. Um, this is not quite that, but it, it, it does rely on a certain amount of expertise that obviously ex-players and indeed current players have. So, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting point. But as I say, those things are only guides. I mean, actually, Ian, Ian Burns, who I mentioned there... Um, he played a match against Neil Robertson at the Welsh Open a few years ago, where Robertson, for most of the match, had a 100% pot success rate. I think he missed one ball. Ian beat him. So that's not always, those stats are not always necessarily sort of reflective, I guess, of the outcome of the match. Um, now we're going to wrap up there. It's not been a long podcast, but, uh, but, um, you know, what can you do? It's, it's a big week of snook. I'm sure everyone's enjoying the tournament and it, it is shaping up to be a, a really good week. Um, and so far, we've only had four results so far as I record this. Phil Yates, uh, on, remember we did our predictions last week. Well, Phil has got them all right so far. Uh, I'm two out of four. He's four out of four. So we'll see if that continues. Uh, one thing to say, I did, I did mention I was on with Nick and Phil on the uh, Talking Podcast, uh, talk, <laughs> the Talking Podcast podcast, the Talking Snooker podcast, um, the Christmas special. Uh, we did a joint one. And I mentioned there that I was interested in doing more writing on snooker well the big news is i now have a weekly column on the eurosport website and the first article is up today and as we speak today i'm speaking on the 11th of january it is the 40th anniversary of steve davis's maximum break at the 1982 lada classic the first official maximum in snooker history and i've done a piece on that so you can read that and every week i'll be writing about something snooker related so eurosport.com uh eurosport.com is the the website hopefully uh, there'll be things there for people to enjoy. In the meantime, uh, we are members of the Sports Social Network. They have lots of other sports podcasts. Um, it's, uh, many, I'm sure, are, are longer than this one this week, and you can check those out. And uh, also, you can email us, of course, snookersinpodcast at mail.com. 
snookersinpodcast at mail.com. Uh, hopefully we'll have a few guests in the weeks to come. But uh, for now, enjoy the rest of the Masters. It's uh, shaping up to be a great week. It's worth uh, restating, I think, what a good job Will Snooker Tour have done with this. Um, it feels like a big event. It feels like a big sporting event, which, of course, it is. Um, and we've always known that. But uh, it's now, I think, it's in a great place in the calendar. It's you know, very early in the new year. Um, January is not always the happiest month for everybody, but hopefully this is cheering everyone up. And, of course, next week we've got the shootout, and then we've got the German Masters, and... Players Championship, Welsh Open, etc., etc., all the way now until three months' time when we'll be at the Crucible for the World Championship. So that is it for now. I will say goodbye bye and I'll be back next week. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.